Bridge family, how we doing? Man, I just have to ask, you like my haircut? Is that all right? All right. So today is one of, uh, it's a special day, and will you stand up? Will you stand up with me? Today is uh, Elena's birthday. Elena right here down front. We love you, Elena. You are a gift to us. And so we're going to sing happy birthday, Elena, loud so you won't hear me on the mic. Happy birthday to you. Come on, Beth. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Elena. Happy birthday to you. Woo! Now, she got her own cake, but to celebrate her afterwards, right out there, we got cupcakes for everyone. Come on, baby. All right, grab a seat. <laughs> so much fun. Oh, you're welcome. Matthew chapter 10. You don't have to open there. We're going to be in Mark 10, but I want to read actually Matthew 11 to you. Are you tired, worn out? burned out on religion, Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. When uh, my daughter was about one years old, we were somewhere where it was snowing, and I don't know if you've ever seen a baby experience their first snow. It is an unbelievable sight, but we, you know, put warm clothes on her as best we could, and we went outside and she just couldn't take it all in. And she started to like, ooh and all, like, oh. It was an amazing, like her eyes got so big because she was just trying to, she couldn't, there wasn't enough to contain all that she was experiencing. Like the pure joy and her joy and wonder brought us in to the experience. It was, it was so powerful. It's, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? I think wonder, joy. I wonder if when Adam and Eve in the garden, I can see them similarly to little dancing, amazed and full of wonder by the staggering beauty of God's new creation, just like oh, unbelievable there in the garden. Or the blind man 
being healed and the explosion of shapes and colors bombarding his mind for the very first time. Just, can you see him there? It's an amazing thing. Or when the leopard felt a surge of electricity through his body, his dead and rotting skin suddenly transformed into the fresh skin of a newborn baby. Or maybe when the bitter, hopeless woman caught in adultery expecting judgment and then death hears the words of forgiveness and love. Oh, what moments! Like what holy moments to be in the presence of God, frightened and amazed all at the same time, right? I want a lifetime of holy moments. Every day, I want to be in dangerous proximity to Jesus. I long for a life that explodes with meaning and is filled with adventure, wonder, and risk. I want to be with Jesus, not knowing whether I should laugh or cry. But if I'm honest, most of my longings have been unfulfilled, and my living very unadventurous. I know I have a lot of stories, but most of my life has been a a battle with dullness and boredom. And what we're going to see in this passage today is Jesus challenging that. It's a story of, a, of adults who have lost their childlikeness, their spirit of awe and wonder and bubbling joy. And Jesus calls them back into childhood. Don't you just love children? Love kids. Not in a weird way, but in an awesome way. Dude, I was, not long ago, I had to go uh, and watch the little, the little ones to help out for just like five minutes. Hey, can you watch the little ones for a minute? The room is full with little kids. This wasn't at this church, so what I'm about to tell you, you don't need to be offended. But have you ever seen a child's face and immediately you don't like that kid? I feel like some of you are judging me right now. There was this kid with this face, and I was like, mm, I don't like that kid. You know, dried snot on his nose. You're like, mm, stay away. But he was running around teasing this little boy, his friend. And his friend was like, stop, just stop. And he wouldn't stop. And the more I watched, the more I was like, yeah, I don't like that kid. Finally, this little boy turns around and says, stop, and the kid doesn't. So he literally goes, bop, punches him in the face. And I'm not joking, it was like slow motion. This kid went flying back, hits the wall, down on the floor. I ran over there and high-fived that little boy. (laughs) It was awesome. That's not the childlikeness Jesus is calling us into this morning. If you have a Bible, open it to Mark chapter 10. I want you to bear with me this morning. It's going to be a little bit different of a talk, but here's, all right, here's the heart. 
good preaching, yes, it should challenge us intellectually, but it should lead us into the presence of God's Spirit. That, that's powerful, deep. That's the deep, deeper stuff. I'm not promising anything, but that's my goal, is that we would be led slowly into a place of going, man, I, I am just too grown up, and I need you to do a work in my heart. That's where we're going. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. People were bringing, read with me quietly as I read aloud, children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms. He placed his hands on them and he blessed them. Matthew, in his account, gives a little bit more detail how people were wanting Jesus to bless their children and children were around and they want, they're wanting him to lay their hands on and pray over them. Now, this was a practice, a normal practice culturally in that time. The rabbinical system is you would naturally, when a rabbi would come into town, you would, the children would arrive. And the goal was we want this rabbi to pray a blessing over our children. It was, reg, it was a regular thing. I suppose it's not like what we do in here from time to time with a, a, a baptizing an infant or a, a baby dedication. So I want you to imagine the scene. Imagine a couple of months from now, a family decides to have their baby dedicated and they're walking to the front, but our board, a few members of our board intervene and they block them from coming to the stage to be dedicated. That's the scene that's happening. They look at this family and they're like, what are, the, what are you doing? Go back to your seat. Like, we've got more, we've got to do some more worship. We want to hear a preach. Like, get, take the kid up to the nursery. They don't belong here. What are you doing? And that's almost exactly the scene. It seems absurd to us. But these disciples think little kids are a waste of time. Well, they've lost the heart of Jesus. Look at the end of verse 13. The disciples rebuked them. Now get that? It wasn't the crowds. It was Jesus' closest followers, his compadres, his disciples. It wasn't random people who, oh, they obviously don't understand the heart of Jesus. These were the disciples. Like, you're insignificant. You don't matter. You're a waste of time. The Greek word that's used here for rebuke speaks of, it's a scolding. They are scolding them, shaming them. Dude, it's the same word used to cast out demons. Same exact word. In fact, it carries the idea of threatening punishment. 
And the tense, so the tense of the word is such that it is, you, it's meant to be over and over and over again. So it's the idea, every time a kid comes up, every time a parent with a kid, they are rebuking them over and over again. Like, get out of here, kid. What are you doing? I rebuke you. It's, it's, that's a crazy scene. Epic cluelessness. Jesus responds in verse 14. Take a look at it. Mark actually says Jesus was indignant. We don't use that word a lot, but this, that word, if you parse it out, literally means he was burning with anger. It's the only place in all the Gospels this word is used of Jesus. Now, he'd been disappointed in the disciples, frustrated by the disciples, and he typically reserved his anger towards the Pharisees or maybe the money changers in the temple. But make no mistake about it, this time Jesus is angry with his disciples. Why? Well, first and most obvious is Jesus loved kids. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus was a youth worker. Most of his disciples were younger. It was the culture, the rabbinical system. You would, you would call young kids to follow you. He knew that children possess something that adults don't have, that adult, adults have lost. He knew that he could, through them, and he did, usher in hope. He could usher in through them a movement. The second reason he was angry with the disciples is because, dude, he's been with them for three years and they still don't get it. Now, if you keep reading in Mark, very soon he is, he is heading now to Jerusalem and Rome is going to hang him on a cross and he is going to die three days later. He raises from the dead. This is an amazing scene. And then he's going to hand the building of the church to them. And he's like, and you, you're not ready. Like, you're missing. You're, this is a definition of cluelessness. I'm going to leave the future of the faith with you. So look again at the end of verse 14 and 15. Jesus says this, For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Okay, when you see the phrase kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven in the scriptures, they're interchangeable. And what they really mean is the reign of Jesus. This is the realm where Jesus reigns. It's the lordship of Jesus, the kingdom of his reign. There's two verbs here that I want to point out, and the tenses in the Greek are really important. First, he says, the idea is, he says, stop it right now, once and for all, stop, leave the children alone. Then he says, let the children keep, there's the tense, keep coming to me. Every time a kid walks, get them to me. Have them keep coming, keep coming to me. 
nonstop, over and over. Never stop them. Let them keep coming to me. Now remember, he's indignant. He's angry. Let the children now and forever come to me. I got a plan for them. I got a plan for them. So you got to picture it. I like to visualize things. Disciples are blocking the way. Children are being held back. I can see like Peter pushing the face of a kid. <laughs> Get out of here, kid. Jesus says, what are you doing? Let them come to me. He's harsh, but get out of the way. The disciples are like, really? Like they turn, and the children start running. Can you see them running? Like it's recess. They're running to Jesus. Oh, and here's Jesus like, yeah, come on. They tackle him. They're now laughing and rolling on the ground. Jesus is so undignified. He's rolling and laughing, getting dusty and dirty. He doesn't care. Man, is Jesus playful? Yeah. Is he full of joy over these children? Yeah. Why? For the kingdom of God belongs to such of these. It's theirs. It's already present with them. You want to get close to the kingdom, stand next to them. They get it. They're wide open to my leadership, my reign, remember? Kingdom of God, kingdom of the reign, lordship of Jesus. That's what it means. They're close to my reign. They allow, they're wide open to me. They're all in. Now, before we dismiss children as, oh, this is kind of an anti-intellectual talk. Back off, buddy. Before we are too dismissive, there was this man by the name of Saul, giant of a brain. There's this current author, his name is Tom Holland. He's a thinker, he's a, a writer, a speaker, a communicator. He's an atheist. He's British, and he has done massive study on, on Paul. And he says Paul is the most intellectually influencer of the modern world, of any ancient writer. More than the Greeks, more than Roman thought, Paul. He's an intellectual giant. Well, this man who was named Saul, who's changed his name to Paul, ran into Jesus. Let me just tell you how childish this man became. How childlike, not childish, but childlike he became. He literally, this intellectual giant said this, Jesus loves me and he gave himself for me and my life has never been the same. It's the passion of a kid. Did you see our two girls singing up here this morning? I was already crying before I got up here. Paul, this intellectual giant, is moved by the love of Jesus. He can't help himself. He's moved. Jesus is saying in this passage, unless you become like this little child, independent, you're dependent on me, humble, you will, you will not enter the kingdom. You won't know the beauty of my lordship. 
you'll never experience the goodness of my leadership. These children were a picture, curious, full of wonder and joy and bringing nothing, simply bringing all they have and all they were to to this Jesus, to all they know about him. Now, I want to get real practical from here on out, all right, and how we, in here, all ages, some of us little, and this is going to be natural for you, some of us are very grown up, and it's going to be hard for us, but I want to flesh this out. What does it mean? What is Jesus saying when he says, in order to experience my lordship to the fullest, you must be like a child? How do we live that out? How do we have a simple, childlike, dependent, trusting faith? How could Jesus look at us and say, the kingdom belongs to you? I remember in fourth grade, I had this amazing Sunday school teacher. Do you guys remember Sunday school? Any old school people here? You would first go to church and go to Sunday school, and then you would go to big church, and then you would come back for Sunday night church, and then like Monday night prayer meeting, and then like Tuesday night worship, and then children's church again on Wednesday, and then Thursday you would die. That was, uh, that was the typical week. I remember going to Sunday school, and I, in fourth grade, I had the best, the best Sunday school teacher. He would tell us stories of Jesus stories of Jesus working in the hearts and minds of people, stories of Jesus' words and how they transformed the lives of the listeners, stories of his healings and of his marvelous works. And then he would tell us stories of his own life and how Jesus had changed his, his life and how Jesus had intervened and brought him peace in really difficult situations. And there were times when he was overwhelmed and like in darkness and Jesus would bring him joy, miraculous, unspeakable joy joy in the midst of that difficult time and I remember being in fourth grade and like leaving Sunday school like on fire like man our God is so amazing like I just remember like feeling like man I can't believe how good our God is but somehow along the way If we're not careful, we lose that childlike wonder. We lose what Jesus says is the key to experiencing his kingdom. So what are we supposed to do? Well, there are some obstacles I want to bring to you that could be robbing from you. And I want to address them. They could keep you from wonder, childlike wonder. And the first is the obstacle of dullness. We get older and life can kind of take its toll. See, we are in a war between dullness and astonishment. Mike Iaconelli, one of my youth ministry heroes, said that the most critical issue facing Christians today is not pornography or the disintegration of the family or biblical illiteracy. He said the most critical issue today is dullness. I think he has something I think he's saying something there for us. We have lost, if we're not careful, our astonishment. The good news is no longer good news. It's okay news. It's like Jesus doesn't turn people anymore into wide-eyed mystics, world changers, 
The first century followers of Jesus were willing to go anywhere and do anything. And I got a secret. They were mostly young people. And they changed the world. The kingdom belongs to such as these. The first century followers of Jesus were a group of kids who never got over the amazing grace of God. A couple weeks ago, I'm in Colorado. I'm speaking at the, check this out, First Methodist National Youth Conference. Thousands of kids gathering from California to Maine and everyone, everybody in between. And I was the evening session speaker. It was amazing. Typically, when I speak at a youth conference, at a youth camp, it takes me a couple of talks to win the crowd. Typically, little kids, when you first meet them, they think, do you like me? Teenagers, when you first meet them, they're like, do I like you? And it typically takes me about two, maybe one and a half to two talks before they go, okay, he's all right. A week and a half ago, I stand in front of all these kids, and they were like, I was like, oh my gosh, they're with me. It's been, re- it's been a really difficult time for for humanity the last few years, and in particular, kids. This is a tough world to grow up, grow up in. This is a tough terrain to navigate as a young person. And for the most part, kids kind of feel on their, they're like on their own to figure it out. I walk up on that stage and I start speaking and I'm like, oh my gosh. I could... I can go deep with these guys. Like, I can really bring, like, I don't have to warm them up. And so, wait, I just got right into it. I got to tell you, every night, every night, hundreds of kids at the altar on their knees, like, for hours, they didn't want to go to the activity. Hey, we're playing these games in the gym. No, we're staying on our knees, man. And the passion, the wonder, them sitting in the presence of God spoke to me. As an adult, I think there's something that they have that maybe we can learn from. A.W. Tozer said this, culture is putting out the light in men and women's souls. I think he's right. Now, the Bible calls this problem sin. And sin is more than turning our backs on God, it's turning our backs on life. See, when we follow Jesus like children, we we find that he leads us to life and life to the fullest. His lordship is so good. No, it's not easy. It's not an easy life. But we discover, if we're in it, we discover his withness in the midst of the difficulty, his presence in the midst of the storm, his spirit empowering and animating us in the midst of life. 
but we've allowed technology to beat out our imaginations into submission and have become tourists rather than travelers. A second obstacle is the obstacle of dream stealers. Somewhere along the way, we have had the child chased out of us. You might be able to remember a time. You can pinpoint it. Jack Canfield tells a story of a young high school student who wrote a paper. The assignment was, what do you want to be doing in the future? This high school kid wrote his dream, his dream future of owning a 200-acre horse ranch. A week later, the teacher handed back the paper with an F, a big fat red F with two words, not realistic. The boy walked up to the teacher and handed him his paper and said, you can keep, my, you can keep that F, I'll keep my dream. The teacher was a dream stealer. A kid in our youth group was clinically depressed, suicidal. He goes off to college his freshman year, and he's struggling and struggling. Oh, he's in, in one day, out of desperation, he prays, God, like, you've got you to get me out of this. I can't shake this. I don't know what to do. Could you bring someone into my life? He's walking through the library. He bumps into a guy. It happens to be a, a man who runs a mission organization. He asks about the mission organization. Six months later, he is overseas. This college freshman drops out of school. He is overseas working with the poor and the broken and the marginalized, and the depression starts to lift, and he's finding the joy of the Lord as Jesus is leading him. Now his father is angry, and he threatens to sue the mission organization, and the depression comes back. On him. The father was a dream stealer. The Bible is full of dream stealers. It calls them Pharisees. Let me give you some examples. A man was blind from birth, and Jesus gave him his dream of sight. And the dream stealing Pharisees did everything they could to rob the joy from this man. Mark 14, a woman has this questionable reputation and she's pouring expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and the dream stealers in the room try to steal from her the joy of gratitude. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew 12, it gives us another example. Christ's disciples, new to the faith, are giddy with exhilaration of following Jesus. They just can't believe they're with Jesus. They were clueless and naive, filled with awe and wonder, and they're hungry, and they begin to tromp through a field, picking fruit from the vine. Suddenly, the reverie is broken by a Pharisee yelling, what do you think you're doing? You're not to pull fruit from the vine on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is holy. Religion is about rules and regulations, and you're irresponsible. Dream stealers. In effect, Jesus says to them, you can keep your pettiness. I'll keep giving people their dream of an adventurous life. Third, Third obstacle is the obstacle of hurt. What has taken the childlikeness from you? Maybe it's the pain of life, the difficulty. It's really hard. We've gone through really unspeakable things. There are things in 
in my own story that when it surfaces, I'm like, oh, God, I still need you to heal me. That's still a hurting place in me. And many of us are living with the weight of it all. People have sinned against you. Maybe you've made choices and you've sinned against yourself, your Savior, and hurt has come in, heaviness. I think of the pain and the hurt that the Bible tells of this woman who was bleeding for years, bleeding, won't stop bleeding for years and years, and she's gone to every doctor, every, every like expert in the field, no one can help her. She's, she's continuously in pain and discomfort, and it's nearly impossible for her to carry a baby, which is life support in that cult, culture. But the religious people, they see her condition, and what do they do? They label her as unclean, untouched untouchable, unable to even go to church, unable to get prayed for, no one can get near her, unclean, hopeless. The weight of life can absolutely take the life right from us. Let me give you one more, one more obstacle that maybe you've encountered, the obstacle of predictability. Did you know that predictability and faith cannot coexist? What characterized Jesus and his disciples was unpredictability. Jesus was always surprising the disciples by eating at the wrong houses, hanging around the wrong people, and healing the wrong people on the wrong day. The Pharisees wanted Jesus to be like them. He want, they wanted him to be the same as they were, they wanted a nice and tame Jesus. You know what? Tameness is not an option. It's like in Narnia. Lucy asks, is he safe? No, but he's good. Take surprise out of the faith and all you're left with is a dry and dead religion. Here's a couple instances of childlike wonder, unpredictability. Mary is a young woman, a teenager, a virgin betrothed to be married to a young man in town named Joseph, also a virgin. Instead of a nice, predictable life, Joseph and Mary began a nightmarish beautiful adventure. The disciples are in a boat with Jesus, and a storm blows in, and freaking Jesus is asleep. Are you kidding me? They know they're going to die. It's over. The storm is so powerful and so big, unlike any storm they've ever seen, they know they're done for. This is it. The disciples in that moment experienced firsthand the childlike wonder of being with Jesus. So here are four things to help you find childlike wonder. Here we go. Write them down. They're not going to be on the screen. I came up with them this morning. Here we go. Number one, ask God to search your heart. The kingdom belongs to such as these. 
God, what is in my heart? God, what is keeping me from wonder and awe? What is keeping me from trusting you? Why am I so afraid to hope? God, search my heart, heal my heart. Heal the broken places. Oh, we typed it up. Good work. Second, regularly seek wonder. Adults can be so hurried, we get caught up in the habit of valuing our work so much that we forget to allow any margin for our minds to wander. Adults, because of this, can lose sight of the miraculous, the miraculous everyday moments. God in the little things. Go for a walk. Get into the wild. Walk along the shore during a storm. Get ground level. Get a ground level view of the sky at night in all its glory. Go find something way bigger than you this week and allow your heart to be gripped with wonder. Third, practice gratitude every day. You wake up, you put your two feet on the ground. God, I thank you. I thank you for the day. I thank you for the the morning sun. I thank you for the sunset. I thank you for my, my kid, my wife, my husband, my friends. God, I thank you for your presence. Gratitude will lead you back to your childhood. Last thing, express love. Children are natural huggers. In fact, they're expert at the running, leaping through the air, landing on the hug. This is their, they're experts at this. My little girl could run and fly through the air and hug me, and it didn't even hurt. She was so good at it. When When Danson was little, she would grab Kelsey and me, and she would put our heads together, and she would go, we love each other. Like she was this natural lover. Express love. Kids do it. They say it all the time. They shout it. They give it. And when they do, it's a gift to the world in need. Join in. You know, children know they're loved. They know when they're loved. I remember we lived in San Diego, two blocks from the beach. And to be honest, during that season, I was convinced that when Jesus returns, he's going to say, okay, everyone to San Diego. (laughs) It's just so beautiful. I would pick her up from school. I would go to work early so I could leave work early and pick her up from school, and her and I, right at Pacific Beach, would go there, and there was this amazing break. Her and I would surf together. She was in second grade. It's the best. It was so much fun, and one day, we finish our surf session, and she is skipping through the water and spinning and dancing, 
and I'm sitting on the, on the sand, and my heart is just so gripped with love for her. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I love her so much. I never knew a love like this existed, and all of a sudden, I sensed this presence, this awareness of God with me, God looking at me, and I was caught off guard by it. And I kind of was like, God, you mean, do you love me kind of like I love her? And I just sensed God go, yeah, kind of like that. Brock, so much more, even more. Let's find childlike wonder together. God wants to gift it back to you. He does. It's where both children and grown-ups can find God located just beyond where the sidewalk ends. It's a place like Narnia. And, and when Aslan has come back from death, Lucy and the children, wide-eyed, open, and with astonishment, recognize him. Aslan, the Christ character in the story, dies. He raises from the dead, and they find him. And it's, it's an amazing. I want to read it to you. I think we have it as well, right? And now, oh, yes, now said Lucy, jumping up and clapping her hands. Oh, children, said the lion, I feel my strength coming back to me. Oh, children, catch me if you can. Aslan leaped. A mad chase began. Round and round the hilltop he led them, now hopelessly out of their reach, now letting them almost catch his tail, now diving between them, now tossing them in the air with his huge and beautifully velveted paws and catching them again. It was such a romp as no one has ever had except in Narnia. And whether it was more like playing with a thunderstorm or playing with a kitten, Lucy could never make up her mind. And the funny thing was that when all three finally lay together panting in the sun, the girls, they no longer felt in the least bit tired or hungry or thirsty. It's time to become a child again. To live like children, to take our shoes off and roll up our sleeves and have such a romp as no one has ever seen. Mark 10, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, my reign, like a little child, will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms. He placed his hands on them. And he blessed them. Will you stand with me? Can I invite the band up? Can we just kind of close our eyes and open our hands?
I just sense that God wants to do something in you. God wants to heal the broken place. God wants to fill you with his spirit. Do you know that the evidence, the fruit of the spirit is joy? Did you know that it's peace? Some of you have been struggling loving someone. Did you know that one of the fruit of the spirit is love? All of a sudden your heart is filled with love, full of love for that person. It's miraculous. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, forbearance, and self-control. So under your breath, can you just say, Jesus, do a work in me. Do a work in me. Heal my heart. I believe. Help me with my unbelief. I trust, but help me to trust more. Give me hope. Return to me the joy of my salvation.
speaks a wow in me again. Or I say wow, 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 God. Will I come to be like little children again? We come running to you, Father. We climb up in your lap, God. We say, for us in this moment that I know you have a name and it is a good name but it's very possibly it's not your full name see your real name is beloved Jesus calls you beloved isn't it amazing when you're like loves you this much like that's where I want to be like I never want it to grow stale I never want it to get old I'm the one Jesus loves your name is beloved precious one my child child and God wants to heal your heart he wants to return to you the joy of your salvation so grown up, so old in my mind. And the Lord said, hey Aaron, do you want to get free? Do you want to be free from all these weights and obstacles of situations that have stacked up in terrible circumstances? And I said, yes, God, I really want to get free. He said, Aaron, you have to be like a little child again. I said, God, I don't, what are you saying? He said, you got to start somewhere. you got to worship through it. I was like, okay, God, I'll, I'll worship through it just like I always do. I'll worship through it. He says, no, not the same way. He said, remember when you used to write children's songs to me with the little kids at the church? And I said, yeah. He says, I want you to write me a song, but I don't want you to write a grown-up song. I want you to write a children's song. And I said, God, I just feel so silly every time I do that. He says, I really like it. He's like, but I don't like it. He's like, I really like it. I don't like it. I really like it. So I wrote him a children's song. And I said, I want, so what do I sing about? He says, well, I want you to sing to all your giants. The giants of your health, the giants of your family situations, the giants of your churches falling apart. And I said, okay. He said, you know what I call those giants, Aaron? Itsy bitsy, teeny weeny. So I was like, okay. 
So I started singing it. Cause they're itsy bitsy teeny weeny giants. Itsy bitsy teeny weeny giants. Itsy bitsy teeny weeny giants. And when I started singing that, I realized how big my God was in comparison to all my giants. I just started, I was like, my daddy is so tall. My daddy is so tall. Then I remembered my son, Josiah. He's been diagnosed with autism and brain damage. And I remembered how he would just climb on me every day. It was his favorite thing to do was to climb on me and ride me, jump on my back and jump on my shoulders. And he always wanted to be on my chest, always wanted to be on my chest, always wanted to be on my shoulders. It was exhausting. And he, but God said, I'm not exhausted. And I saw me climbing on the back of my father, on the shoulders of my father, God saw me sitting on God's enormous shoulders and how small my giants were and I started singing these words on your shoulders everything looks different on your shoulders giants look so small on your shoulders everything looks different on your shoulders I am standing tall and I started saying that I'm standing tall oh I'm standing tall I'm standing tall I'm standing tall presence of God was charging me and it was like the first time I'd felt his presence in years and that's available for us this morning because we're about to have a party we're gonna dance and sing that song like a bunch of wild children in this room this morning and we're gonna celebrate how tall our daddy is you ready here we go let's go Alan
receive that Lord I receive that I say yes to you okay one one last thing I, I'm not supposed to bend down I, I, I'm catching the hint there one last thing don't worry about don't worry about tomorrow like forget about tomorrow Forget about the mistakes of yesterday. Be present in this moment. This moment. You will wake up tomorrow morning and discover that his mercies are brand new for that day. Your mercies are new every morning. Every morning. Fresh. I give you today. Fill me with joy today. Give me peace today. One day at a time. Follow him today. Focus today, this afternoon, today. Don't worry about the cares of tomorrow. Elena, happy birthday. We have a bunch of cupcakes to celebrate her. I might eat too. Know that you are loved here. We love you. We love each other at the bridge. We love each other. Have a wonderful week. God bless.